I'm going to start you out with the month of Nisan in the Jewish calendar. That is our mid-March to our mid-April. We're in that month, and it's a Friday afternoon. It's the 14th of Nisan. It's the annual festival of Passover. It's arrived. It's when the Jewish people remembered that God saved Israel when they were slaves in Egypt. And to recall, they would have a lamb that was sacrificed, remembering that the Jewish families each sacrificed a lamb in Egypt on that night, and they ate while standing up, and they took the blood of that lamb and they painted over the top of their doors and down the sides, averting the wrath of God, the death from the sword of the angel of death. And for centuries since that night in Egypt, Every year on the 14th in Nisan, they gathered, if they could, in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. If they could not make it on that day, the 14th in Nisan, they created a second opportunity exactly one month later. But most of them would gather on the 14th in Nisan and thousands and millions, listen, millions of sacrifices down throughout the centuries. And every single one of them pointed to the Lamb, one Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, unblemished by sin, the perfect sacrifice. Now, friends, listen, it's Friday afternoon, and the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was nearing the end of his crucifixion. He will not make it much longer. His heart is about to rupture. His lungs, even now, are filling with fluid. You know that because they put that long tapered spear through his side and out came a mixture of blood and water. That's a ruptured heart. Those are filled lungs. He can barely breathe. And just before 3 p.m., three trumpet blasts could be heard from the temple resounding over Jerusalem, and it signifies the start of the Passover sacrifices when they would cut the arteries and the necks of the lamb and gather the blood and put it against the base of the altar. And it was about at that time that Jesus gave his last message, his seventh word from the cross. One word in the Greek, it's to telestai. It means in the English, it is finished. It's his declaration that he had completed everything that was necessary, everything that was needed for people to be saved from sin. Because sin creates a breach. You know this, right? It creates a breach. I mean, even if you've not yet put your faith in Christ, and if you're married and you offend your spouse, and there's that time where you do not have peace and you do not have fellowship until you reconcile. Well, you understand sin creates a breach. It does it horizontally with people, but even worse, it creates a breach vertically. Between the sinner and God, it brings death. And Paul was getting to that in our text in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for as, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Every human being, listen, you and I, we've all descended from Adam. We've all come from the first human. And we've all sinned and we all will die. We are desperate we need our sins to be forgiven. Friends, that's a financial term, the word forgiven. It's finances. 
We need our sins not to be added up. We need our sins not to be counted, not to be put into the ledger against us. Something needs to pay for our sins and bring forgiveness. But the problem is this. Something innocent has to die in our place. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And you cannot extract a pint and throw it against the altar. The shedding of blood means something has to bleed to death. And a sinner dying, a sinner, a sinner, a sinful man or a sinful woman dying, me dying, would not work. It would not atone. It would not pay for our sins. My death, your death, it would be unacceptable to God. It had to be a perfect, a sinless, an innocent person who dies. But who? Who could be absolutely perfect, never having sinned? Well, that person was Jesus, and the clock turns to 3 p.m. on that Friday on the 14th of Nisan, mid-March to mid-April, and Jesus dies. Nobody took his life. He gave up his spirit, the text says. And he made that payment for forgiveness with his very death. Let me put it in this metaphor. Friends, I write you a check today. For $500 and Monday, you take it to the bank thinking of all that you could do with that $500 and you deposit that check in the bank. But listen, you cannot draw against it until it clears the bank. It's got, the bank needs to make sure that I'm good for that amount. Is there anything behind the $500 check? Well, Christ made the payment for the forgiveness of sins, for those who would trust in him. But would it clear the bank of God's justice? Would it clear the bank of God's holiness? Would it be acceptable to him? Could you cash it? Could you write a check for forgiveness on the death of Christ? Well, let me answer that by moving you now to the next day. It's Nisan the 15th. And it's now the beginning of the festival of unleavened bread. We just celebrated the Passover on the 14th of Nisan, the day that Jesus died. Now it's the beginning of the festival of unleavened bread, the second spring festival of the Jews. And two men just the day before, you remember them, right? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Both of them were Pharisees. Both of them were religious rulers. And both of them hurriedly took the body of Jesus off that cross. They had to hurry the Sabbath is coming. It's around four o'clock in the afternoon. And Jewish people reckon their days not like we do. At midnight tonight begins Monday, 1201. Well, they reckon their days sundown to sundown. When the first three stars appeared in the night sky, it had turned over to the next day. So for the Jews, the next day was Sabbath. They had to get the body buried before 6 o'clock. They had to get the body buried before the Sabbath. So they're hurrying. And this is not an ordinary Sabbath. This is what's called the high Sabbath. It's the beginning of the festival of unleavened bread. And leaven, think about leaven. It's a symbol in the scriptures for the souring, the corrupting, the spreading, pervasive sense of evil and sin. And if you don't deal with it, it would affect and corrupt and permeate everything. Leaven has to be removed. 
and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, listen, it was a feast of sanctification. It was a feast that you celebrated because you're purging the evil from your hearts. So every particle of leaven, that symbol of sin, every piece of it must be purged from the house for this festival. The day before on Thursday morning between 11 and morning and noon, there would have been a blast of the shofar from the temple and two priests would have removed two cakes of bread from a bench in the temple and that signified that by this point you must have all the leaven out of your home. But this is what would have happened a few days before Jewish mothers would have taken crumbs of bread and they would have scattered them throughout the house. They would have put them in the hard to reach places of the home. Then Wednesday, before the Passover, they would have searched the house, the whole family, the children and the father and the mother, and they would have searched for every one of those crumbs of leaven and they would have swept them up and they would have taken them out into the outside of their home and burned them. And there were teaching in this that God is utterly holy and God's people must be holy. There cannot be evil and sin and pervasive corruption in our hearts. But despite these festivals, the people of Israel continually sinned. They turned away from their God. Listen, no one, not you, not me, none of us in our own strength and effort, we cannot be holy. We cannot obey God's law with our own sheer determination. Help is needed. This was the great truth of these festivals. They pointed to Jesus. They're fulfilled in Jesus. They're about a work that Jesus did on our behalf. Listen, the festival of Passover, it pointed to the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf that we could be saved, that the moment you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, your old sinful self was crucified on that cross and he gave you a new heart that could live. The festival of unleavened bread, it points to our sanctification, Passover, salvation, feast of unleavened bread, our sanctification. That's the power to live obediently before God, the power because Jesus through the spirit lives in our hearts and the Christian has this power. Why? Because he or she has been buried with Christ, separated from the old, given a new heart so that we can learn to love and obey God and please him. Friends, God is sweeping the leaven out of the hearts of his people day by day. And Paul clearly connects this festival of unleavened bread to the Christian in 1 Corinthians 5. Cleanse out the old leaven. That, those are the Jewish families sweeping the leaven out of the heart to reach places. Burning it that you may be a new lamp as you really are unleavened. Christian, you are unleavened. You are made holy. You are made right before God. For Christ... Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival of unleavened bread, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Christian, that's the truth. Christ was in the grave on the 15th of Nisan, not because he was the unleavened, sinless, perfect bread from heaven, 
Actually, because he was exactly that. And he made the payment that we needed for our forgiveness. The check is now being cashed. It's clearing the bank of God's holiness. And the proof of that will be seen on the very next day. And the third festival of the Jews. It's Nisan 16 now. The festival of, of first fruits. Now let me remind you. Passover, sundown Thursday to sundown Friday. Jesus died 3 p.m. on Friday. He was put into the grave on Friday. The sun goes down. Now Friday evening to Saturday evening is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And now Saturday evening to Sunday evening is the Festival of First Fruits. Came out of the grave on that day. He was risen from the dead the morning of Nisan 16 on Sunday. Listen, the pagan world, it hijacked this day. And it called it Easter. We probably should stop saying Happy Easter and saying more appropriately Happy First Fruits. Because that was the name of this originally. And they named it after the Babylonian goddess. Easter is from Ishtra, a goddess of fertility. And the symbols that they used in their worship of her, we still use them. They're fun. Parents do it. We've got them. Rabbits, bunnies, colored eggs, costumes. All of these symbolize the beginning of the growing season, the fertility season. Ishtra, the fertility goddess. But God, friends, claimed this day all the way back in Leviticus chapter 23. This was his day, and he commanded forever to celebrate first fruits. But let me remind you before I tell you about first fruits what we've learned. Now, listen, this is a simple sermon. Nisan 14 was the Passover, and it taught the redemption of God's people through the death of the Lamb of God. Nisan 15 was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it occurred while Jesus was in the grave, and it taught the sanctification of God's people who put their faith in him, that they were to be the righteous, holy people of God, forever sweeping the leaven by his grace out of our hearts. A very interesting thing happened. When the sun went down on that Saturday evening, and it clicked over to the 16th of Nisan, it was the arrival of the Festival of First Fruits, and at sundown, Saturday evening, and the start of the 16th of Nisan, three rulers of the Sanhedrin, three rulers of the Jews, they began to walk out through the walls of the temple. They walked through the walls of Jerusalem. They walked down the Kidron Valley, crossing the brook, and passing over to a valley called the Ashes Valley, where there was a field set apart for the growing of barley grain those barley seeds were planted before the winter they had gone into the soil and died and they were plunged below there and they were alone but the spring rains had come and those seeds of barley had cracked open the plants began to break through the surface of the soil beginning of March and life and sustenance to those who harvested it came and those three men Walking into the Ashes Valley took sickles and baskets. And the multitude of Jews walked with them. 
This was a major festival of the Jews. This was an exciting time. And they stopped before bundles of still standing sheaves of barley that had been tied together just a few days before. See, the grain harvest was in. The grain had grown. The barley was ripe, the first cutting in New York, where I'm from, a farm town. We got three, if we were fortunate, four cuttings of hay a year. This is the first cutting of the barley, and they're standing before these sheaves of barley. And the three men begin to ask questions to the multitude of people. They ask questions like these. Has the sun set? And the people yell, yes. Meaning the Sabbath was over and the new day had begun. With this sickle as they held it up. And the people said, yes, into this basket. Yes, on the Sabbath. Yes, shall I reap now? Yes. They cut down the sheaves of barley unwittingly pointing to the crucifixion of the bread from heaven. A name given to Jesus the Messiah. And they gathered the stalks and they took them back to the temple mounts where they carefully beat them with rods pointing to his flogging. And they separated the kernel from the chaff, careful not to break open the kernel. And then they parched the grain over an open flame. And they let it cool and then they began to crush it. And they sifted it until an inspector from the temple could plunge his hands into the flour and pull them out without any of it sticking to his hands. And it was done. And they all went home to sleep. Only to come back early that next morning. The 16th of Nisan, the morning that Jesus came out of the grave. They would have come back and they would have come to the temple and they would have taken that flower that's in a basket and it would have been presented to the Lord as a wave offering, meaning you wave it back and forth before the altar and you present it to the Lord that God again had brought life from dead soil, had provided for his people and they would have mixed a third of a pint of olive oil. They would have put a dash of frankincense in it and it became for the Jews the first fruit offering. That morning, in homes all over Jerusalem, you would have smelled baking matzah bread, bread that did not get mixed with leaven, bread that did not rise, bread that had stripes and holes, and they did not realize, and they did not understand that those stripes pointed to the flogging of Jesus, those holes pointed to the crucifixion of Jesus. But the people of all Jerusalem were waking to the feast of first fruits, and families would bring their offerings from their fields, thankful that life had come again from winter. Paul tells us in our passage in 1 Corinthians 15 that this festival was fulfilled in Christ, the first fruits. He is the first fruits. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. He had alluded to this, friends, just hours before he died. He said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless, here it is, a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone 
stoned, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. He's speaking to him. He's speaking of him. And that same Sunday morning as Jews all over Jerusalem were waking to the smells of matzah bread, as the priests were waving it before the altar of the Lord, Christ came out of the tomb earlier that morning. Evidence, listen, that his sacrificial death, it was accepted by the Father. His check had cleared the bank of God's holiness. Checks of forgiveness could be cashed for those who put their faith in Jesus. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, Paul argued. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Nisan 14 was a feast of Passover showing us that Christ, the Lamb of God, had died for our salvation Nisan 15 was the beginning of a seven-day festival, eight days with the Passover, called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And it shows us the sanctifying work of Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who himself did not see corruption from the grave and has the power to help us overcome sin and temptation. That's our sanctification, our being made holy. In Nisan 16 was the festival of first fruits, the day Christ came from the dead to newness of life. He's able to give life to all who believe in him. Now, Daniel said in the book of Daniel, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Friends, death is not our end. It's not the end of anybody. Every single person will be raised from the dead, but some will be raised into eternal glory. Now listen, some will be raised for eternal condemnation in hell. Doesn't matter what Ron Reagan says. He better begin to develop a fear of burning in hell. What will be your destiny? Come on, it's resurrection morning. This is when we think of this. This is when we answer this question. Where will you go? Where will you be when Christ raises you from the dead? Where will you be? Have you trusted in the Passover lamb of salvation? Have you believed in the unleavened bread of your sanctification? And have you put your confidence in the first fruits of your own resurrection?